Welcome back to the Agile for Life podcast, a podcast about continuously improving on life. Today, we're very excited because we're going to have the first guest on this podcast. Our guest woo-hoo. is George. Yeah, woohoo, exactly. <laughs> Our guest is George Westwater, a guy that just has impressed me from the day that I first met him. Uh, I'm, I'm going to see if I can make you, uh, George, blush through the radio a little bit here. George <laughs> is probably the uh, the smartest person that I have ever met in my entire life. I, I've never met somebody who had so much depth uh, across so many disciplines, whether that's in the technology world or building that R2-D2. That's like a life-size <laughs> R2-D2. Is that right? Full size. Yep. Uh, movie scale R2-D2. Movie size R two D two that is uh, incredible, uh, George. So a lot, lot of passions in your life, uh, a lot of experience. It's just been a pleasure to get to know you uh, over yeah. the last few years. Maybe before we dive into our, our topic of the day, which is going to be tackling complex problems and how we go about doing that, can you just give a little bit of background? Um, how you've gotten to where you're at today? The things, maybe some of the big picture things that you've learned along the way. Well, I feel maybe with an intro like that, anything I say now is just all downhill. So, um, I, I That's guess okay. We'll just delete this podcast if it doesn't come out well. Oh, no problem. Yeah, just to erase the first guest right out of, right out of history here. Yeah, exactly. So um, I guess, you know, from a starting perspective of solving problems, I grew up in a technology space and, you know, similar, I think, diverse background to yourself, Aaron, tried lots of elements, but really fell into the IT technology side. So for me, it's been around 25 years, specifically in software architecture and uh, you know, consulting and, and helping companies really design systems that either scale globally or how to teach new teams, how to deal with new problems, new processes faster, and go through organ- organizational change management, really teaching businesses the, the process of adopting change so that it benefits their companies and their people more over long term and, and help them solve their larger scope problems. Yeah, and, and we've seen you do that very, very well. It's It's been a pleasure to be able to work together on a number of uh, big projects uh, that we wanted to accomplish. Uh, what you're describing there, it, to me, sounds an awful lot uh, about like the, the process of, of developing solutions and then helping organizations figure out how they can implement those those solutions. So essentially, you're a solutioner for a living, right? Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Uh, so my, my, I guess my official title would be solutions architect. So that, that works pretty well in that case. <laughs> it, it's taking business requirements, whatever they are, and translating them down into how do we deliver value to the business faster? How do we you know, provide services to the customer that meet their needs while making sure that we can really continuously improve the skill and the talent of the people delivering those solutions? You make it sound so easy. Uh, I just wish every one of the problems that we had uh, in front of us was was solvable in, in like the three sentences that you just gave there. How do you get started? Well, I think that the, there are multiple paths when you think about problem solving. It, you know, it could be coming up from a technical background where you're approaching things from the nuts and bolts on how to do them, or it could be from the project management side where it's how do I plan and train people, and the other one is maybe more on the the management and the people leadership side. How do I bring people along? How do I nurture their skills and their talents? And then how do I communicate that effectively to business stakeholders? I came up predominantly from the technical side, but have also been on the entrepreneurial side as well. It's funny to hear you lay that out there in terms of your approach, because I know you. And so I know just how technical you are, whether it comes to cloud computing or data or software engineering. And yet the first thing that you went to was the people aspect of things. Maybe talk about that a little bit more. 
Absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, that's any change, whatever it is, you've got your people, your processes and your technology. And the one thing I really like about what I've heard in this podcast so far is, is thinking about the process of change as it relates to the people that are doing it. So really, for me, the embodiment of that and why I always start with people is this is maybe summed up really well in your last week's episode that I listened to, which had the, the concept about course correction. So the courses you plotted by the business or the requirements, you know, that's your destination. But the people that are driving down that are the, are the people. The technology is just here to help us along. It's helping, it's helping us drive that business value, helping us be more effective. But at the end of the day, it's, it's codifying the information and the knowledge that your developers, engineers, or architects, or painters, or whoever it is, codifying that into a process that can be repeated over and over again to deliver that value. Bonus points for all of our users who understands what codifying information is, but awesome. <laughs> we, we know our fellow nerds, right? Hey, right. hey G- George, you mentioned something early on about um, one of the things that you do is help organizations with the process of adopting change. What does that mean? Change is hard. You know, when you think about change as a person, so let's take the organization out of it for a minute. If you wanted to lose some weight, maybe you go to Sonic and get uh, your... <laughs> Why? Why? Why are we always yes. coming back to weight and my illustrations? George, so, I'll pay you later. I, 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 no problem. <laughs> Sounds great. So what I like about this is anytime you think about change, be it from a person or business perspective, it either has to be a very strong desire a real willingness to do so, or there has to be a compelling event that is forcing you to do it. It's really one of those two things. So when we're talking about how organizations change or to help people change, you have to identify, is this something that you're looking to do proactively or responding to an event? And then the approach we take is very different. We're either working backwards from that compelling event or we're planning a a, a holistic future that can be longer in scope and have maybe larger, longer-term milestones. So I think part of what I'm hearing you say is the technological solution might be one of the latter things that you consider. You're not going to dive into that before you figure out what, what's the problem. You know, uh, are there things that about the, the people or the culture that need to be changed, uh, the process and so on and so forth? Maybe this is the wrong answer from a technologist perspective. But the technology <laughs> is the afterthought. It's the same problem can be solved multiple ways using multiple different pieces of technology. Mm. We're going to choose. That too loud. They're going to. They're, they're not going to pay us anymore to do our jobs. <laughs> well, so our job as technologists, though, is to choose the technology that meets the requirements of the business while avoiding the pitfalls and the restrictions that that are placed on us. Right. So technology A might give us open some doors, but we can't do that because there's some security restrictions or there's some data sharing areas, and it's our job to navigate what tool is the right one to pull out of the toolbox. But that's okay. That's not really the hard part. That That's the knowledge and the share that we've got and the understanding how to do that. Teaching the rest of the team how to use that tool effectively and communicating the value of that tool to the business is where, where the organizational change really has to start taking place. So I like your approach to solutioning. And I think a lot of leaders would like your approach to solutioning because I think there's a temptation in the, the engineering world for people to want to come up with the most complex uh, solution more as a, an intellectual exercise, right? So uh, in history, we've probably over-engineered a lot of things just because we could. Uh, it, it was yeah. something that we did for the fascination of it. How do you not do that? How do you, how do you not get sucked uh, down that path? Let's take a really non-technological example. Let's say you want to build a garden. Okay. You start with the requirement. I, I want to grow some food to eat it. 
I want to be able to grow my own food. Well, we can go build a big workshop. We can put some hydroponics in there. We can build a big giant vertical garden and maybe I could feed the whole neighborhood. Hmm. But without backing up from that and saying, well, maybe I should do this small scale first. Maybe I should understand what I really want to do is understand, will my family enjoy the process of growing food? Hmm. Maybe a small shelf garden works or other areas. So when you think about doing this, it's, it's peeling back the desire to solve the ultimate long-term problem and really focusing what the immediate needs are and then slowly building on those needs so that what you're developing is the right solution for the business. So maybe in the case of gardening, it's I started with my potted, my, a couple tomatoes in the house and then I moved to a raised bed. And then I decided that this is something I'm really interested in. Let's get a bigger garden. And maybe I want to garden in the wintertime. Now I can bring some gardening inside and treat it more as an evolution to solve the problem instead of one big bang solution. You know, George, I, I too have worked with you and um, have loved working with you. One thing that I would say makes you really unique is, I mean, besides all the stuff that Aaron mentioned about how amazing you are and R2-D2 and all that stuff, um, it's also the fact that you have this ability to almost see through the words that people say and hear the things they don't say. I guess you know, talk me, talk me through a little bit about how, how do you do that? Is that just because you've been doing this 25 years? Um, what, what does that look like to other people? How do you, how do you dig into what the actual need is, right? <laughs> so it, it, I guess it comes across very natural in some, in the context, because from the architecture standpoint, when you're thinking about businesses and problems of larger scale, there's a lot of research that happens before those conversations even occur. So before I come in to talk to a business and, and really understand what they're trying to do, I need to understand what the business does, what their competitors are doing, what the landscape in general looks like. That way, when they're saying what their problem is, I have some built-in context necessarily that, that may be related to other areas of business or similar technologies or, or, or other similar problem sets. And then the ultimate answer is you listen. You really, really genuinely listen. Don't try to jump in with a solution. That's the last possible thing we want to get to. I want you to really describe what the problem is and not just the pain. Describe why. What's the importance? What's the value we're driving the business? What's the value we're building to the customer? Why do you want to build a garden? Why isn't just going down to your local uh, um, you know, supermarket good enough? What are the real driving reasons behind that? Then mo most everything else shakes out. I think that... Um... Now, I'm going to be thinking about the whole garden illustration for like the next few days, but <laughs> you know, you, 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 you've identified a number of different things that are really important for people to think about. Like for instance, for me, uh, I'm not going to build a garden in my backyard, even though I might be able to save, you know, 10 cents on the dollar for the groceries or for the, you know, the vegetables that I would grow. It's just not where I want to put my time and energy. And so for me to go out and build that thing would be a waste of money. Uh, and the whole thing would be sort of like rotting, you know, over the next uh, year or so. <laughs> Uh, and so I, I think we don't think about those things enough uh, in life. I love the the approach that you're bringing, uh, particularly the, the people side um, yeah. approach to the, the solutioning. Let me steer the conversation in a little bit different direction, though, because you do have all of this experience working with uh, very large organizations and, mm -hmm. and helping them to come up with solutions to problems, uh, the, the role of an architect, whether that architecture is in the data space or the software space or the infrastructure space uh, type of a thing. How are some of the concepts that we're trying to touch on in this podcast, uh, agile, or for those uh, in our 
um, community here who may be more familiar with some of the technical aspects of uh, DevOps, bringing development teams together with operations. How's that impacting the, the world of an architect these days? Um, how's it changing things? Pretty dramatically. I mean, if you think about it, it's way back when, so we can date ourselves to well before we way were burning when. CDs and way back when, <laughs> when we're thinking about delivering software on floppy disks and you have large floppy production disks? houses to burn. <laughs> to burn How's that CDs. access database going? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So w when, when you're building software and solutions way back then that have a, an entire supply chain in other areas, you had a different way that you had to design and build solutions. You had to think about the complexities and work backwards from usually timelines that couldn't really be iterated on. Mm -hmm. And as we move into this more DevOps uh, world, more cloud computing, where we can deliver features to customers while they're using them without any experiencing any downtime, that really allows me as an architect to not have to think about all of the solutions, but to really focus on deriving what we would let a vertical slice, right? So how do I deliver value to the business for this one feature? How do I take this one feature and carve it so we can release it faster? And then what metrics can I pull out of that as it's being used to understand how we can adapt to what the customer is doing? How can we validate our hypothesis? How can we continue to improve on that so to make sure that we're building what's right? And we can do that in line in multiple parallel ways that we were never able to do before. And how does that influence... Um when an organization needs to build out something very large and you need a certain amount of functionality uh, to get to the point where you can actually begin to use something. So, you know, you can't just sort of like put out a website with a button on it because that won't get you anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, but you also don't want to go backwards in time to that, that time that you were describing where we would have to plan everything in advance uh, and, and nail everything down before we were able to actually able to deliver value. So when I think about this, the first thing that comes to mind is your minimally viable product is way smaller than you really think it is. And let's determine what it really means to drive value to your business for the consumer. It doesn't have to be completely feature complete. It just has to have that area. And then if it means we can't roll it out to the entire world or the globe, how can we start introducing certain customers to that minimally viable product to get feedback faster so that me as an architect, I, I don't have to course correct nearly as much as we're, as we're going on. I can experiment and I can validate with real data coming back to this, this pattern or this technology or this way we chose to solve it is meeting the needs or it's not, or it's not meeting these KPIs. Mm -hmm. the, the smaller that we can get that, the more iterative we can be in it, the easier it is to, to really determine how to roll those out. And then do it in stages or waves or uh, iterations, whatever word your organization wants to use. Okay, nerd friend. Yeah. KPI for those uh, thank that you. are following. <laughs> All right. What's a KPI? So you're, you have a KPI is a key performance indicator. So uh -huh. what you're looking at here is some numerical value or some data point that you can get out of something to that indicates some sort of performance area you're looking for. And they can be either trailing or leading. So for example, the number of visitors to your website might give you a good leading impression about what your sales are going to be. And a trailing indicator might be the number of sales that actually did gives me an indication if I'm going to hit my yearly year end goal. So and then you, you find, introduced another concept in there, uh, minimum viable product. Uh, tell people what that is if they're not familiar. Yeah. So from a minimally viable product perspective, what is the smallest thing that I can build to drive one or more business values to the consumer that the consumer would find value in? So uh, a wallet, for example, a paperclip is a good example of a minimally viable product for a wallet. 
I just need something to put my cash together with my credit card and put my and put it in my pocket. Now, as you expand on that, you start you know adding new features. Maybe I want to be able to separate my credit cards from my cash, or maybe I want to store my receipts. You expand from that first uh, proof co- proof of concept or that that minimal element that the customer needs. Let me ask you uh, about another aspect of architecture, and this is again focused on your area of expertise in in IT and in, in the corporate world. Historically, you would have these enterprise architecture teams, and we still do. They're, they're still out there, but oftentimes they were the gatekeepers for anything that uh, was going to be done. It all had to route through that, and so it it creates you know yet another bottleneck or silo. And, and we're trying to get rid of the silos in organizations so that work can flow in, in a much more unrestricted manner. So as an architect, as a solutions architect, um, as somebody who's done enterprise level architecture, how do we do that? How do we preserve the standards that we want to have? And yet at the same time, uh, not take that responsibility out of the team and centralize it uh, in, a, in a shared services group? There are a few ways to approach it. If you're thinking about decentralizing your enterprise architecture role, you can Make sure that the teams are collaborating and that they're working towards the common goals and they're meeting as sort of a a cohort to understand how things interrelate. But I think the real uh, answer here, and when you you really look at this at scale, having contracts or agreements between teams on how they share data and how my system is used by, by other downstream systems or upstream systems so that... I know that I'm going, I'm responsible for keeping my application up and online, and I'm responsible for honoring those agreements. Once you do that, you overlay your governance and your security rules from the business coming down so that we're sure that we're all communicating securely and safely. Mm -hmm. But me as a team, I'm ultimately responsible for the operational health of the application and anybody who is my consumer. And that might be another piece of the organization, might be another team. I've worked in in groups where enterprise architects function in a little bit more of an embedded model. How do you feel about that? Every chance I have to sit with a development team who's going to be doing the work I take. Now, there's a few reasons for that. Me personally, I'm very technical and I, I really enjoy that. But I also want to see how difficult is it to implement those patterns and practices for the team? How much uplift they need in training? Or was I the one mistaken in those in that architecture? Did I make, did I design something that was too complicated or, or or overly engineered for a particular solution? So the closer I can get to a team, I will always take that opportunity. On the front end, you talked a little bit about how we go into this from a people perspective and and identify what the real problems are before we start going and trying to figure out solutions. But at the end of the day, whether it's in our lives or uh, in our in our work and in our offices we're going to come across some fairly complex problems that need solving. So you've identified the problem. How do you start breaking down this very complex thing? Like I need to stand up a brand new company and I need a whole platform to be able to support that particular thing or or whatever it is, something that's not just simple, like one person could go off and solve it in three days. Hmm. How do you get going from that? And and how does your solutioning impact that? I guess uh, this is one of those other ones that maybe from a technical perspective, I I would not normally say this, but documentation and scenarios, descriptive scenarios, you know, approaching your problem from squares and circles on a whiteboard and Legos that are being put together, but combining that with a narrative so that I can understand what the user is of that that component of that system. We used to call them use cases. You Mm -hmm. you used to have... uh, other elements and there are personas that are interacting with it. The more human you can make your problem and the more you can really relate that to a 
a, a constant flow or a flow chart and something you can point to and talk through, the easier it will be to start understanding where the bottlenecks or the branches in those processes are and start to decompose them into smaller and smaller problems. So even if I was trying to deal with a complex problem that was in my personal life, you would say, start figuring out how to peel back the layers of the onion, how to start decomposing things, uh, storyboard it maybe so that I can really understand what the narrative is as you described it. Absolutely. And I mean, if you could see our house right now, I know we're in the podcast world, but we have whiteboards in multiple rooms <laughs> in our house and, and we approach this in a regular yeah, basis. Total geek. Yeah. <laughs> it's, how, how do I take a, a, a school assignment uh, for my son and how do we break that into weekly milestones mm. or daily milestones to get your to kids all have Kanban boards in their room, don't they? Almost. Not exactly, <laughs> but we're getting there. Um, but I, I think that, you know, your point about how do you break this down? Retirement is a perfect example. You pick your end point, pick your time. I want to retire at 65, 75, 85, whatever it is. How much money do I need? And now I start breaking that into smaller problems. How much can I afford to save? Where is the right vehicle? And when you start looking at that bigger element into smaller objectives and they become shorter and smaller and shorter, the easier it is to not only complete them, but the better you feel about it and the more momentum you build as you're solving that bigger problem. You know, George, you had mentioned uh, earlier the contracts or agreements that these these teams, like in a in a work in a work example, the teams create uh, whenever they're working together. I guess when you're thinking about complex problems, would there be contracts or agreements in a real life situation as well? Because work is not real life. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, going back to the family situation, Mariah, I think the easiest one to relate to is chores for your yeah. children or, or other areas. So we, as the as the, the household and the parents, we are going to provide you with these certain elements and you in return agree to do these things. And maybe we give you a dollar yeah. amount allowance or other area. But we not only establish the tasks that you're supposed to do. But a lot of times we also establish how we're going to communicate that. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be on a Tuesday? You're going to tell me you're, you're done on a Wednesday and trash goes out on Thursday. Yeah. So anytime you have more than one person involved, you have an agreement that in order to understand who's going to get something done, are you responsible? Or are you going to be reporting you know, accountable for this? Are you going to be doing the work or do we just need to be collaborative? Wait, so you're saying we have to, <laughs> you're saying we have to commute, you're saying we have to communicate? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, I think that, I mean, if you're going to learn anything, I think from you, from any agile transformation, it's that the, the biggest key that you have is frequent communication that is, is poignant and not filled with, I guess, the extraneous elements. Get to the point fast, have your, your elements, and then keep a good open dialogue about that. Everybody should be able to collaborate. Everybody should be able to add new ideas and everybody should take feedback uh, uh, accordingly. Yeah, well put. So you're clearly a technologist, um, but maybe put your futurist hat on for just a second here. With these concepts in mind, uh, as the world is changing technologically and how that's impacting us culturally um, at work and at home, where do you see things going from here? Well, I mean, from a simple perspective, more connected. There, there's no doubt that we're going to be living in a significantly more connected world. 5G, smaller devices, other areas in this. And we're going to see more and more data and more and more pieces of, of our life throwing off data. And I think that what we're also going to see is at some point in the near future, a real recognition that privacy and data sharing and data ownership are going to be massive concerns that individuals have that are going to start to be addressed at more of an organization and government level than we see yeah. today. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think we're already there. If um, my cell phone tells me one more thing that I need to buy that I didn't even think I needed to buy uh, accurately, uh, I'm just going to throw it in the trash. I don't know. So. so I bought a fountain pen that has a IoT receiver in it that will tell me when it's running out of ink. Internet so, of things. Yeah. It was like, oh, oh what, oh, what? Yes. It? So IoT, Internet of things. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. A, a fountain pen, like an actual pen yeah. that will tell me when it's running out of wow. ink. That's so, insane. That's what we needed, right? We, we we all got together and we decided that what we needed was ink pens that would tell us when we're about to run out of ink. So please run to the store and buy more of me because I'm about to be useless. So I really appreciate you you coming and sharing some of your thoughts and ideas uh, with us today. The, the world is changing. Part of the reason why we're having this podcast is because we want to help people lean into the change, uh, not be afraid of the change, to be successful with all the things that are, are changing uh, about them. And uh, I hope it, in the, the weeks and months to come that we'll have more opportunities to sit down and talk about various things, whether it's the amazing technologies that you're involved with or the way that you're trying to figure out how to apply this to that hydroponic garden you're about to build. <laughs> yeah, apparently. I want some vegetables. So, yeah. I was thinking like the fish, you know, where like they, they poop and then that lets you like have the, 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 the plants I don't know. on top of that. And now all of a sudden you're powering your, your, your house. You said poop and that's all I'm thinking. Yeah. That's the one, aqua. aqua. I lost yeah, my I was like, poop, that what? Was, that, was, that was the end of it. Well, with that auspicious note, we'll go ahead and wrap up for today. Um, thank you, George, uh, for sharing some of your valuable yes. time with us. We greatly appreciate it. And thank you uh, for all of our listeners uh, for tuning in again and listening to this podcast where hopefully we've scratched the surface about thinking about how do we work on these complex problems that, that life throws our way. We'll keep uh, digging deeper uh, in this particular area in the future, I'm sure. But for today, thank yeah, you very thank much. Thank you, friends. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>